Hello, people. Uh, just a brief welcome on behalf of the team to those of you who have just arrived to uh, join this two-month retreat uh, for the March part of it. And we're going to begin this evening just with a, a short uh, introduction of each of the, the people who make up the, who are going to make up the teaching team uh, for the month. Um, I've been here. I'll introduce myself a little later, but I'm part of the February team and the March team, which is a rare and unusual thing. And uh, I'll say a bit more about myself for those of you who don't know me, but uh, we'll begin with some introductions. Um, and I think we, we should go ahead and begin. So I'm just going to start on the end with Brian. Good evening, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Is the sound all right with this mic? Okay. As Greg said, my name's Brian Lesage, and I'm joining you from Flagstaff, Arizona. And, you know, just as I was sitting here and, and entering the hall together with all of you, the, the feeling that was here was really feeling honored to be able to get to practice with all of you for this month, to practice with those of you who have been here already for a month or in the middle of your retreat, and also to practice with those of you who are beginning your retreat. And for me, long retreat has been such a central aspect of my life. I think it's one of the reasons I, I got ordained as a Zen monk is I just want to be on retreat. I just want to sit. <laughs> and then uh, after that, venturing into the Theravada world, uh, long retreat was the thing that really was so transformative in, in the terms of, of both and of healing and awakening. So I look forward to this practice time together with all of you. So welcome also. I'm Susie Harrington, and I come from Moab, Utah. And I am so happy to be sitting here with you because this place, this land here, these mountains, and this this temple we're in, this room, has been a central part of my spiritual practice and has been my spiritual home. And I've practiced here since, um, since it was built. And I feel so happy to know that each of you have carved out this time to be here and to step into this stream. Many of you for are continuing in it, and many of you have already been here many times, and some are new. And this place embodies, I teach in the, this tradition, and I also teach a lot outside. And one of the wonderful things about this place is the outside is all around us. We walk through it constantly. You do your walking meditation many times outside. And this has been such a nourishing part of my practice. So I want to extend an invitation, not only to the meditation hall, but very much to this land that you give yourself time and notice as you walk and be in this place. Thank you. I, look, I wish you a really good retreat and I look forward to our month together. Thank you.
My name is Andrea Fella, and uh, I, I, I want to say welcome, but also that I feel welcomed by those of you who've been here for a month already. It doesn't quite feel right for me to welcome people <laughs> here when it's 24 of you are continuing. So thank you for having us into your home. <laughs> I, uh, I've been teaching this retreat, I don't know how many years now, four or five years. I tend to teach it most years now. And I also teach the long retreat at the Insight Meditation Society each year. And so sitting long retreats has been a huge part of my own practice and has also become a, a big part of my teaching practice. And it is one of the most privileged things that I can imagine to, uh, to participate in this journey with all of you. It's an amazing thing that you have all decided to spend this month or two months here in silence. This is not what the vast majority of the world would call a vacation. And so I know from my own personal experience just how transformative it is and how challenging it can be. And so I bow to you all for the willingness, the integrity, the commitment and the courage just to be here. So thank you for your practice. It's on. Hello everyone. My name is Amana Johnson. And I am so honored and delighted to be here with you practicing. I'm looking out and I'm seeing so many people that I have sat with over the years. And um, looking from a new perspective, actually. I am one of actually 40, but 20 uh, teacher trainees here at Spirit Rock. So I'm here as both your movement teacher, where I'll be guiding you in compassionate movement as an extension of your practice, as bringing awareness to the body. And I'm also here as a trainee to learn from this magnificent team that I've been invited on. I'm very happy to see your faces and feel such deep gratitude for your commitment to this practice, for coming onto this land and learning how to be in relation with each other in kindness and care. So thank you for having me and thank you for your practice. I'm John Martin. I live in San Francisco. And um, it's a bit like feeling like coming home for me to be here at Spirit Rock, to be here in this hall. I think uh, over the last two years, over the last 18 years, cumulatively, I've spent two years on retreat here. A lot of long retreat practice over the years. And uh, yeah, that real beautiful sense of coming home to the practice, coming home to Spirit Rock, coming home to the Sangha. And really appreciating the silence and stillness in the hall and the merit benefit of those who've been practicing for a month already. A little bit of a feeling like catching the wave, catching your wave. So I'd say, uh, it's a privilege to support you with your practice and uh, 
really the sacred time that you're taking for this practice to step out of the world to be here for this practice. Thank you. My name is Greg Scharf, and uh, I live in Flagstaff, Arizona, too. Uh, but Brian and I never see each other there. <laughs> and, like, we're both on the road a lot, so we, we get to hang out when we're teaching. And we both teach long retreats uh, quite a bit. So actually, Brian and Andre and I were just teaching the second half of the three-month, uh, annual three-month retreat at, uh, at IMS this year. And we, we do... We're part of the core team for that, so we, we see each other there a lot. And so there, it's kind of like we've been just doing it the whole time. <laughs> um, and it's great to have the rest of the team here. I feel uh, so happy to, you know, I had a great team in February and I've got a great one in March. So uh, I feel very, very happy with that. So I teach a lot at IMS. I'm, uh, I'm one of the guiding teachers there. And uh, at the Insight Meditation Society in Massachusetts, Barry, Massachusetts. So that's um, that's a certain kind of a home, but Spirit Rock is too. And the very first retreat I, I ever did um, was through um, Spirit Rock before this place, way before this place ever existed, uh, here in California. I used to live in San Francisco for 10 years. That was my home. I'm really looking forward to spending the next month with you. It's a great privilege, as my colleagues have said, this sense of um, it being such an honor to spend this kind of time with a group. Susie referred to uh, this place and the land here and others as well, and the the beauty of these surroundings, which are... Um, are so uh, powerful and such a great support for us. I was actually able to be here for, I was on retreat here for the two-month retreat just a year ago. Uh, here, here for the two months as a yogi and now here for the two months as a different kind of yogi, one who sits up front here some of the time. And the, the, the power of this place um, is very something that I feel so much here and uh, the beauty of this place. And I want to acknowledge that we, um, we're here as relative newcomers. Uh, we're, Spirit Rock is a steward of this land. This land is the traditional home of the Miwok people. And uh, they were here for a lot longer and for, for a long time before we ever showed up. And so I want to acknowledge the, the uh, heritage there and the native ancestry of this place. And I also want to acknowledge the other beings who call this their home. And it's their home all the year, not just, they don't just come here for a retreat once in a while. They live here. And so um, we're entering their home and, um, and they will in their way support us, at least they do me, through their presence a lot of different animals who live here and uh, perhaps some unseen beings as well. And I want to acknowledge this uh, time of, of this transition here where we have those who've been on retreat now for four weeks, those who are just coming in. And it's, it's uh, and there was the transition earlier today, those who left. And uh, just uh, there's a poignance to this uh, falling apart, coming together, which you know is really an aspect of life, but it, it's pointed out to us more directly at times. A ways to the north, uh, north of where I live, where Brian and I live, and actually really near uh, where Susie lives, there's a, a confluence of two great rivers of the West. The, the Colorado and the Green River come together. 
you know that place, don't you? And I was recently looking at a photograph of this coming together. And the Colorado is, that word means red in Spanish. And the water is often quite red. And the Green River is aptly named because the water tends to be quite green. And they come together and at that point they flow, you can see these streams flowing side by side and then you see them mix and then a ways downstream they have become one. And it, it, uh, this beautiful image and, and kind of metaphor for uh, when, when things come together, these two streams. And they, they, the colors and the flow and the currents are distinct and then they intermingle and after a time they're one. And so there's this period where these streams are discernible, they're different. And then um, after some time there's this change. And, and just in that same way we have two streams coming together. And sometimes it takes a while. And it may take some adjustment and some patience at times for some of us. The streams of these, these two currents, they will unite because just as it's the nature of water, when it flows together to mix and, and unify, it's the nature of things that those who come together and they are, are unified by the power of uh, a shared intention, which we might express in very different ways, but which is fundamentally the same. Then, then the nature of things is that that brings us together and we will flow together as one very soon, very soon. And the beauty and power of that in our lives in the world is really something I think we all, um, can feel and part of maybe why we love to uh, spend time, why we choose to come on a retreat like this. And as, as my colleagues were saying, it, it takes a lot to come to a retreat and it is a rare thing in the world. Few are those who would choose to do this. They're just, it's not, not everyone who's just lining up to come spend a month or two in silence, staring at your navel or whatever you might, people think we're doing here. <laughs> I mean, what are your friends, some of your friends, family? What do they think you're up to? All kinds of ideas about what it might be like. Probably a lot of them think it's kind of a, a health spa and you're hanging out in the jacuzzi. And you know, some of you are probably hoping to find the jacuzzi. <laughs> it's gotta be here somewhere, or the sauna. It's just up, up near the stream there. But the power of this, in, of this intention that we bring together, and we bring together, so we bring together our unique individual, who we are. There is, um, there are those differences and, and we have our personal stories, but that which unites us is, is far greater than any of our differences. And it's this shared humanity and the strength of this intention to cultivate uh, wisdom and compassion. You know, that's, that's a rare thing in the world. And to have a place that's dedicated to that purpose, it's fantastic, it's so beautiful. So I want to offer a deep welcome to those of you who have just come and I want to offer this welcome once again to those of you who have already been here along with me for the past month. And just to say that everyone is welcome here because sometimes we come, maybe it's, is anyone here the first time at Spirit Rock? Well, there's a, you who have not been here before. And sometimes we come and it's new and we may feel wonder if we belong, if this is a place that you know, can become our place, if we have a place here. But everyone is welcome and it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your abilities or your disabilities, your gender identity, your ethnicity, heritage in any way, 
doesn't matter your country of origin, what your mother tongue is, what your religious upbringing or beliefs might be, doesn't matter what size or shape you are, what your sexual orientation is, or your age, your educational or social background, your political leanings, whether you're new to the practice or you've been at it for 40 years. Regardless of any of this uh, diversity of experience, you are all welcome here. And we encourage everyone to bring the totality of yourself here, whatever that might mean. All of this diversity of background because our intention is to create a place of safety and a community of safety where everyone feels able to relax and to deepen in meditation and in the understandings that the Buddha pointed to, to deepen in wisdom, insight, compassion, love. I'm going to read a short uh, quotation, part of a quotation from a a man named Henri Nguyen. He was a Catholic priest in Canada, I believe. If there's any concept worth restoring to its original depth and evocative potential, it is the concept of hospitality. Hospitality means primarily the creation of a free space. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them the space where change can take place is not to bring people over to our side, but to offer freedom that is not disturbed by dividing lines. The paradox of hospitality is that it wants to create emptiness, but not a fearful emptiness, a friendly emptiness where strangers, where anyone can enter and discover themselves as created free. I love the sense of hospitality as, as creating a kind of empty space where anyone can enter and discover who they are. And so we create this marvelous kind of organism when we come together, when a group comes together like this, with this shared intention in all the ways that that shows up, this heart inclination, you could say, orientation around uh, wisdom and love, kindness, freedom, And so we see through our personal histories and our own lives and everything that we've lived through. But like this room has windows all around and you can look in through these different windows. We look through our windows into this commonality, something more universal, you could say, something shared by one and all, something more timeless, more universal than any of our our individual stories. So those stories are real and true and they're honored, but we're looking at uh, what's common to all of us in terms of what it means to be a human. That's what we're exploring here. That's what we're learning. What does that really mean? And so we come together and we create this kind of sacred space, this container of safety and support. This space, this empty fullness of the hospitality in that sense that that quotation offered. And it's a space of safety where we're able to um, open and, and realize a kind of profound and radical intimacy with our own body and mind and heart. And so one of the main supports for this creating this container, this sacred space, is, has to do with our conduct, how we live together, how we, how we approach being here, living together, because we're going to be doing all the things you do in a life, sleeping and eating and walking and doing our jobs and sitting together. And so we bring this very deliberate, very intentional focus and real care to how we live together. We undertake this commitment to live carefully and ethically and we engage in this direct and personal way with 
um, what we call the refuges and precepts. You know, we, we, we engage and explore what it means to live a moral or ethical life. What does that really mean? Not some idea, but what does it mean, each of us for ourselves? At some point in a little while, we're going to do some chanting together. And we're going to give voice to this intention to living carefully together through this ritual of, of chanting. There's something powerful in that. But it's good that we understand and know what we are doing when we do that, because this chanting is familiar to a lot of you, maybe almost all of you. you know this chant of the refuges and precepts, and you've done it, and you come on retreat, and it's a thing you do at the beginning of a retreat. Sometimes, once in a while, during a longer retreat, someone like me makes you do it. And, and it can become just sort of we can lose touch with what it actually means to orient in this way. It's not a small thing in our lives and in the world. And we can make the mistake of thinking, oh, it's something, this, this thing we do, you know, we, we call it sila, this uh, ethical conduct, and we do the refuges and precepts. We sort of we do that at the beginning, get it in place, and then it's done. As though it's, you know, it's some kind of support, preparation for the meditation. But this is, this is more than just a foundation for our practice. And of course, it has this direct benefit. You know, it's, well, it keeps us out of jail for one thing so we can come on a retreat. That's handy. But there's a way in which there's no real progress, no real deepening of uh, this path without this foundation that, of, of conduct, of caring or conduct. And of course, a life of non-harming, it leads to a mind that is um, more tranquil, it's free of worry and remorse. And this is a great support for our practice and there's no underestimating that. But it's, it's not just a preliminary practice. This is, I think, a limited and limiting view. It doesn't really touch the the potential of this. And I think for myself, I see, and I think most of us discover that our, our understanding of our relationship to sila, to ethical conduct, to care in how we live, is constantly refined as we walk this path. And I remember when I, I first sat, my very first long retreat, I sat for a three-month retreat um, just within a few months of ever doing any meditation, I was able to, to do that. And the thing I loved the most, I think, was to be able to live with that degree of care. I remember just thinking, I loved being able to be that careful, to have the space to actually really pay attention to my life, how I was living. And I think if we if we made this attention to our conduct the focus of our practice with this intention to really watch our mind and heart and to learn from that, we will discover that in and of itself, it's a liberation practice. And living ethically lifts us up, lifts us to this kind of higher, not a holier than thou plane, but a, it purifies and beautifies the mind and the heart. It, it opens the door to the possibility that our own mind and heart could become our true friend. Maybe our best friend. This is real possibility. It's something that I feel personally, I can say that. But I didn't start there, that's for sure. When I started this practice, I would, if you would have asked me, I would have said my own mind and heart were my, probably my enemy, certainly not my good friend. We don't, we'll be getting copies of the chant sheets and I'll take a little break to pass those out. But it begins with an homage, an homage to the Buddha, Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa. Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. 
It's one translation of those words. This idea of, of paying homage. You kind of do that on a regular basis. Tell your friends, excuse me, I, I need to go pay homage. Or even use those words. They're kind of, we don't even use the word homage very much in daily speech, certainly. What does it mean to, to, to hold something as worthy of paying homage, of worthy of respect? You know, you'll see us, the teaching team, and some of your, your comrades, fellow retreatants, either standing with our hands in this, this prayer posture, the Anjali Mudra, front of the heart center, or maybe bowing or even down bowing with the forehead to the ground three times towards these, this front, these images behind me. What is it that we might hold worthy of bowing to? You might wonder what's up with that. Maybe it's not your custom to bow and wondering, oh, I've signed on for something where I'm gonna be expected to start bowing or become a Buddhist, whatever that is. You might not, there's no expectation that anyone here would bow, but what might we hold in that way as being worthy of paying homage? You know, really look and see, can we pay homage to so hold something in that way in our heart? And so perhaps you bow, or perhaps at some point you might feel moved to, to try that if it's something you never have done. doesn't matter, but still this sense in the heart of something that we feel we could hold as truly worthy. And good to know why we would do it, you know, because we can bow because while everyone else is doing it or something, or the teachers are, are doing that. So it must be something I'm supposed to do. You know, and, and these, these images behind me here, a traditional kind of Thai style Buddha Rupa and this beautiful uh, feminine image here. Someone tell me, is this Prajnaparamita? It's beautiful. These images that represent some kind of possibility for us. And we may find them beautiful, but in and of themselves, they're they have not that much intrinsic value just as objects. And we might find them beautiful or not. Might find something inspiring in seeing these are the beautiful uh, Kuan Yin in the back. The image of the Buddha on that Tanka and they're all over the place. These images, different ones. It's interesting when at the time of the Buddha, there were, and, and for until the Greeks, the Greeks showed up in India at some point, and they, they said, you don't have any images of your God. And so the earliest Buddha statues, they have really nice curls and they look kind of like Apollo. I mean, Greek kind of look to them. And before that, there was an empty seat or sometimes a pair of footprints. In, in, in Buddhist countries, you see uh, footprints as representation of the Buddha, the, the Tathagata, the one thus gone. They didn't have these images, they didn't do that. So we bow to the, this as a symbol, symbolizes something. And that seems obvious, but I think it's, it's worth looking. What, what, it, what is the symbolism in terms of what might be personally meaningful to any one of us? What does things symbolize, these different images? And so traditionally these Buddha statues, they're, um, they're kind of symbols of, of the triple gem. And they point to this, the second part of this chant, which is these three refuges, refuge in Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, the second part of the chant. And it's repeated three times. We go to these, we undertake, we look for refuge, we go to refuge, for one time, a second time, a third time. So there's maybe some reason you want us to notice something there. We don't just do it once. What does it mean to go for refuge? I mean, in a way, we're always looking for something we could call refuge, I think. 
whether we realize it or not, we're looking for some place, a place of safety in, in the world. And what are we turning to for refuge? I think in modern culture, in this country at least, I think shopping is often what we turn to for refuge. Let's go shopping. Offered a lot as sort of best shot. Well, try shopping. Maybe that'll do it. Or some passing experience. Are we looking to some passing experience, something that that's subject to change? Is we going looking for refuge there? Some some happy moment or pleasant experience. Great, they're great. And nothing wrong with shopping. I go shopping sometimes, but it's not a real. Um, reliable refuge. And think of a refuge like a place of safety, like a harbor. It's protected. You can rest there. Where would we find that in a world of change and unpredictability? What, and this goes to the heart of what we might be doing here. So then the first of these three refuges, refuge in Buddha. After his um, enlightenment experience, the Buddha uh, and when he decided to travel to, to go find those uh, who he was going to teach, when he first was decided to teach, he was walking down the road, newly, freshly enlightened being, looking pretty good, cruising along, nice glowing countenance. And, and someone encountered him on the road, and, and he was so striking, his appearance, his, the feeling there was so striking, they said, what are you? Are you a, a god? Or, and the Buddha said, I am awake. And the word Buddha is the root word for being awake. That's what that word means. A Buddhist is an awakest. Hello, fellow awakists. This refuge in wakefulness, this possibility to be awake, really awake, profoundly awake, it's a kind of refuge. It's a place of safety because it doesn't matter what's happening. We can be awake to the present, to the truth of things. And it leads us to an important and powerful consideration, I think. One of the, the most powerful things we can learn in meditation, and this, this cultivation of mindful awareness, is that there's nothing in our experience that we can't bring mindful awareness to. There's nothing we can't be mindful of. And even better, there's nothing that arises in our experience that cannot serve as a, as a vehicle for understanding. So in a very profound and empowering and liberating way, it doesn't matter what's happening. Really good news because as most of us know, we have limited control over what's happening in any moment, right? We don't get to say, let it only be this way, the way I like it. Let it only be pleasant, agreeable, acceptable even. So from the perspective of meditation, all experience is equal in a certain way. There's nothing that falls outside the scope of the practice. I hope you are hearing this. Because it's really a hard thing for us to learn. Because our job here is not to control experience and we're not gonna lay the secret teachings on you that give you this extra special tool that's gonna let you to get you to be able to have it only be the way you want it. We, we hold out hope for that. Boy, do we hold out some hope for that. And one of the hardest things for us to learn is that meditation is not about having certain special kinds of experiences, attaining some special blissful state, whether it's one we are know or an imagined one. And we do have powerful experiences and they, they do bring energy and inspiration and they bolster our faith at times and they, they, they indicate to us at times that well, something's happening 
practice is working some way. And, so, and that's beautiful and powerful and real, but as inspiring as they, any experience we might have in any moment, as inspiring as that might be, we need to bear in mind that, that ultimately this path is about freedom, a kind of freedom that's not dependent on it being any particular way, a freedom that's um, available because true freedom can't be dependent on things being a particular way or on, on achieving a certain kind of state, no matter how blissful. There's no real freedom there because all states are conditioned and they're subject to passing away. And so taking refuge in Buddha as wakefulness is that an hook, can unhook us from, uh, from the being so oriented around what's happening, the contents and all of our likes and our dislikes. And it breaks this fascination we have with what's going on and our tendency to be aiming for and practicing for states or experiences. It leads us, we let go of that and this uh, leads us to deeper considerations. And then, then this brings us to the second refuge in Dhamma, the second of the triple gem. And we can see it in a couple of ways related to different meanings of the word Dhamma. So there's Buddha Dhamma, the teachings of the Buddha, said to be well expounded, it's part of a chant. And this can feel like a refuge at times because there's this body of teachings to draw on and this source of information and inspiration and a path that has stood the test of time over nearly 26 centuries, practiced by a lot those walked the path before us and we can find a refuge perhaps in that. But Dhamma also means something like the law, you could say the law of nature, or the truth of the way things really are. That's a safe refuge because we can always know right now it's like this, it doesn't matter what's going on, it doesn't matter how it is, it doesn't matter that things are changing. In any moment we can know it's like this right now. So this refuge in Dhamma, we take our stand on reality, you could say, rather than on our ideas about reality or how we want things to be, but we stand on the truth of the moment in any moment. And this really opens us to what the Buddha was pointing to. Take refuge in the way it really is below the surface appearances of things, directs us to, to something uh, deeper and more universal than just what's happening and whether or not I like it. And then we have uh, the third of the triple gem, this refuge in Sangha. And traditionally it's said the Arya, the noble Sangha, those who have practiced, the Blessed One's disciples who have practiced well, supatipanno, Bhagavato Sawakasango. Those who have walked this path show us the way. They demonstrate through their being this saying of the Buddha that if it weren't possible, I wouldn't ask you to do it. But since it is, I ask you to try. So that may be meaningful, but we can also see uh, refuge in Sangha as, as connected to you could say our, our highest aspiration and, and also the shared intention that I spoke of earlier. And this is an, this intention, this aspiration and intention or something that we, we share in, in a way with all seekers through all the ages, this, this movement of heart towards happiness, towards peace, freedom, meaning. having some connection to an aspiration, a personal aspiration, I think is really essential in our life in this practice. It clarifies what's important, what's worth doing. It leads us to seek out that which leads to freedom and peace. It leads us to make effort, you could say. We take hold of this and we, we move in the direction of freedom and peace away from suffering. And I think it's good to, 
touch into this in some way that's personally meaningful. Not some idea or someone else's idea, but what, what we're doing here. And maybe to reflect on it not so much as a goal, but as a, a sense of direction, because goals can change our, as our understanding changes, something that we may have held in, in a place of real importance doesn't feel that way so much. Goals can change, they might be limited at a certain time. But if we hold our aspiration as a kind of like a, a direction, like a compass point, a heading, direction we're steering towards. And it allows for the practice to be dynamic and for change to be part of that. And so we see what leads in the direction of peace, happiness, freedom. And we steer in that direction. We're constantly understanding in different ways where that is. And we adjust our compass heading, you could say. We make that our direction that we steer towards. And so, this refuge in Sangha then is this potential for realization and, and the power that, of this intention that brings us together leads us to the very heart of uh, what the Buddha taught and what's possible for us. So I wanna see if we, we do have um, some chanting sheets. So uh, our wonderful managers who, am I introducing them tonight? I just, hmm? I just want to briefly introduce uh, Ramon and Ramona, <laughs> who are fine and excellent beings, who you've met, I'm sure, and they're our managers, and we'll probably do a more, a different, more of an introduction, but um, they're, you met at the check-in, but maybe you didn't get their names, and anyway, I just want to praise them publicly and vocally. <laughs> These retreats wouldn't happen without them and their colleagues. So while we're getting these uh, sheets passed out, I'm gonna check that and see if any of you who have been here are going are still on and going to continue on the eight precepts. Yeah, and possibly some of you who've come know that that's something you wanna do. So we will, um, I'll be chanting that and I'll say a little more about that in a moment. Thank you. Does everyone have one? Great, hang on to them because need more light. We don't need more light. So, um, so we'll, we're going to be. Um, chanting this together and we'll do it somewhat call and response because it might be unfamiliar or possibly new for some of you. And uh, tonight we're going to, um, everyone take the first five of these. And so um, you can read the English there, but I'm gonna go through them briefly. So the first one, uh, the Panatipata is undertaking the training to refrain from harming living beings, any living being, wow. It's a little extreme. Um, the second one, so this means any living being, it's including little ones. Whoa, okay, well, I don't know. I guess there's not a, not a middle point. Is that enough light? <laughs> okay, good, thank you. 
Um, even ones that we might consider to be irritating or that might sometimes bite us. We, we still respect that all beings have the, the wish to live, the desire and, and the, the right to live. And so we, we do our best to refrain from intentionally harming, knowing that we cannot live without harming some beings because we are big and some of them are small and we don't see them all the time. But it's the intention in the mind there. These all are this intention. We undertake the training to refrain from taking, in the second one, adinadana, what has not been offered. So we spray respect one another's things here and we, we bring care to how we use the, the things that are, are public and the things that are offered for us and we, we use that which has been offered. We bring attention to that, to what we really need. The third one, abramacharya, for the time of the retreat, we're, uh, we're undertaking a life of celibacy. So we're not acting on the sexual energy that uh, may, may be there, probably will be there, may be there really strongly at times. Just because you come on retreat doesn't mean that stops. At least that's not been my experience. And sometimes it comes very strongly and we feel it at times more strongly maybe than we, we are used to in our lives outside of retreat. And, and, and there's no moral thing about this celibacy, but we're taking care with this energy and we're not acting it out. And so we'll get to know it and understand it because this energy is so powerful in our lives and in the world and it can lead to such uh, beautiful things and it can cause so much harm when it's not uh, attended to carefully. So we, we uh, acknowledge this part of, of life and we're undertaking the training to uh, not acting on this energy, but getting to really understand it and how it is in our lives. And fourth one, we undertake the training to refrain from false speech, musawada. It's not only um, not, not me doing a lot of speaking here, we're entering into noble silence, we'll probably say more about that tomorrow. I, I'm not going to get into that too much tonight. But um, not only that, but using speech that is uh, kind and timely and useful. Speech that leads to bringing beings together rather than causing separation. So in the times when we do speak, in the individual meetings, that we bring care to that and, and real sense of integrity and honesty. And then the fourth one, uh, the training to refrain, abstain from using substances that cloud the mind and lead to heedlessness. And this in no way refers to any kinds of prescription medications that you may be needing to take for your health. But we're not using uh, recreational substances that can cloud the mind. We're into clarity here, not clouding. And we want heedfulness. Heedfulness is the path to the deathless. Heedlessness, the path to death. We'll say more about this uh, sense of of the power of mindfulness in our lives. So we're, we're abstaining from things that uh, lead to um, heedless behavior. And then the, the, la the sixth, seventh, and eighth we will offer in a, in a few days, uh, formally for those of you who've come, but some of the people here and perhaps some of you who've been on retreat a lot may wish to undertake that right away. Um, the main one of those that impacts your life is the um, the sixth one, wikala bojana, means not eating solid food after the noonday meal. So it's a, a level of uh, extra simplicity, renunciation, and we'll, I'm not going to go into an explanation about it. We'll do that uh, in another day or so. Um, so rather than say too much more about those, because uh, we'll get to that, and for uh, considering the time here, um, we'll have those who wish, who are already on eight precepts, we will chant the uh, 6th, 7th, and 8th. So I'll do it uh, a bit of call and response. I'll do the homage once by myself, so you can uh, hear that. We'll do it three times together. Those who know that, know this chant, um, bring it forth with some gusto, and then uh, you'll figure it out. You'll follow me. It'll be somewhat call and response. 
uh, through the rest of it. And uh, those, many of us like to hold our hands in this uh, posture, prayer posture. It's called Anjali, it means respect, and uh, respect for you know, one another and for ourselves in undertaking this uh, beautiful, um, powerful intention. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. All together three times. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Buddhang saranangga chami altogether Buddhang saranangga chami Dhammang saranangga chami Dhammang saranangga chami Sanghang Saranang Chami Sanghang Saranang Chami All together for the next lines. Dutiampi Buddhang Saranang Chami Dutiampi Dhammang Saranang Chami Dutiampi Sanghang Saranang Chami Tatiampi Buddhang Saranang Chami Tatiampi Dhammang Saranang Chami Tatiampi Sanghang Saranang Chami And we'll do these uh, call and response one line at a time uh, in parts. Panati Pata Anati pata, we ramani, we ramani, sikapadang samadhiyami, sikapadang samadhiyami, adhina dhana, adhina dhana, we ramani, we ramani, sikapadang samadhiyami. Kapadang samadhyami Abrahmacharya Abrahmacharya We Ramani Sikapadang samadhyami We Ramani Sikapadang samadhyami Musawada Musawada We Ramani Sikapadang samadhyami we Ramani Sika Padang Samadhyami Sura Meraya. Did I do the Musawada? Yes. Sura Meraya. Sura Meraya. Majapamadatana. Majapamadatana. We Ramani Sika Padang Samadhyami. We Ramani Sikapadang Samadhyami. And those on eight precepts all together. Vikala Bhojana. We Ramani Sikapadang Samadhyami. Naja Gita Vadita Visukadasana. Malaganda Vilepana Dharana. Mandana, Vibhusanathana, Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami, Ucha Sayana, Mahasayana, Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami. And then repeat after me. Idame Silam, Idame Silam, Magapalanyanasa, Magapalanyanasa, Pachayo ho tu, Pachayo ho tu. And we can say sadhu three times together. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu.
Sado means well spoken or well done, and it was indeed well spoken. So um, we're going to have to wrap this up. Um, so it's um, just after eight thirty, and for those some of you who've uh, just come here, it's taken a lot to get here, and you may be ready to try to settle into your room a little bit and. Uh, you might be ready to call it a day. But each evening at 9 p.m. there is, uh, will be some chanting here in the hall. We've been chanting uh, mainly the uh, Buddha's teaching discourse on loving kindness, the Karaniya Metta Sutta. And we've been doing it in Pali and English. And we'll do that chant tonight in Pali and English. And I think uh, counting on some of you who've been doing it to show up. And uh, we'll just do it um, through. And those uh, who've come can come and just listen and uh, get a sense for the chant tonight. And then we'll I'll start probably trying to teach it uh, tomorrow. Um, the, f- the plan, the format for the chanting is that you can come at nine, you can do the chant, and you can leave right away if you wish to. And there will be, if you don't leave then, then there'll be a short sitting and I'll ring the bell gently once, and that's very short sitting, so we won't go till 9.30. Uh, so just so you know, that's the, the rule and the format there, and that will be the, the case throughout the, the month. You can come just for the chanting if you wish to. And uh, I think the managers have just a brief um, announcement tonight, and I also just wanted to mention that we have some special stuff for the people who've just come. There'll be a a practicing in community um, uh, thing, (laughs) meeting tomorrow. Um, And that's, there'll be a lot of of more stuff to help get you oriented and welcomed and and settled into being here. So that will happen tomorrow uh, because you may have questions or concerns about what am I doing here? So... um, so, um, oh, it is okay. So the I think uh, Ramona is. Are you going to come? And I think that's really just for those who've arrived. And it's just a little bit about the, the evening uh, um, emergency contact. But I don't think we need to let tell people. I think it's very brief, right? Were you thinking people to leave? Or? I was thinking. Okay, um, those of you who have been here for the month, if you'd like to leave now. And uh, we have about 25 minutes for some walking meditation and then the chanting at nine. So we'll let you um, slip out. And uh, Thank you, the rest of you, for staying just a few minutes longer. You want to train? 
Okay, welcome everyone again. Um, I'm Ramona. I'm Ramon. And we're the Ramones. <laughs> With a Z. Um, so, yeah, we're just going to go through a few things that are important for you to know in terms of, um, you know, if urgent things or emergencies come up. Just some basics, and we'll, we'll talk some more tomorrow. Uh, first, I wanted to call up the candle lighters, extinguishers, and the recording volunteers. That would be uh, Gavrila, Dixie. Are you guys here? You can come all the way up. We're going to train you on how to use the torch and to blow out the candles. And also the recording volunteers, Autumn and Celeste. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.